Let's open our inspired scriptures to Second Peter chapter 3 again. I hope that you enjoyed and appreciated the scriptures that were read to you. We want to grow in grace. The Apostle Paul would warn in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1, We then as workers together with Him beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. You had read to you by Joel, 2 Peter chapter 1, that refers to forgetting that we have been purged from our past sins. And so we come upon a, the closing words of Peter in his second epistle, exhorting us to growth in grace. I read to you the last two verses. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, Beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. And Amen. Ye therefore, Peter addresses his audience and draws a conclusion from what has just been said. What has just been said is that though Paul and Peter have written scripture that detail the future prophetic events that are going to come to pass with certainty, there are unstable men, there are unlearned men, and there are false teachers that lead men away from believing that truth and living by it. In light of verse 16, that there are unlearned and unstable that rest the Scriptures, all the Scriptures, to their own destruction, there is an exhortation to us so that we might avoid that fate. The fate being destroyed as far as our Christian confidence, our Christian professions, our Christian conduct. Destroyed from it by having the gospel taken out from underneath us, taken away from our faith to where we lose our confidence and hope of the future in the coming of the Lord. And so there's an exhortation here right off the bat as Peter closes out his eight chapters of two epistles to this audience in what we would call modern Turkey. Ye therefore beloved, as a result of knowing prophetic truth, Scoffers and Bible twisting, my brethren, beware. Everyone needs to beware. The prophetic truth is so great. The prophetic promises are so essential to our growth as Christians. And there are promised scoffers coming. And we live with plenty of them around us today. And they're all engaged in Bible twisting. We must beware. Peter had established the certainty of these wonderful events that were coming. We know the world's future by the Lord's promises in writing. And we, we live by it. And the truth about the horrific cataclysmic events that are coming and our eternal inheritance is fantastic. The truth of coming events is fantastic for all of us. Yet, we can't be moved away from it and the warnings are given you remember, there was an entire chapter, chapter 2, that's about false teachers that would lead them astray. And here we have just had in the previous verse the fact that men rest the Scriptures to their own destruction by losing the hope and confidence and certainty of the Gospel. I like the camaraderie that Peter shows in this final chapter by four uses of the word beloved. He loves this word here. He's got it in verse uh, he's got it in verse 1, he's got it in verse 8, he's got it here in verse 17, he's got it in verse 14. We've got four occurrences in just one chapter because we do have something in common. It's our bond in the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is coming to do things for us that He's not going to do for others. So we have something that is very extremely important that can hardly be described or defined that we have that others don't. But no matter who or where they are, the children of God are all blood brothers in Him. Though these believers were Paul's converts and Peter's writing them, he still refers to them 
a number of times as his beloved brethren. As blood brothers. Blood brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who died for us and lives for us and is coming for us. We have a duty toward each other. And that is to serve each other and protect each other from all the danger of Scripture resting or Scripture twisting, perverting or corrupting so that we might hold fast to the apostolic doctrine and not change. We all need help. We have, over the years, watched those who went out from us. We believe the statement of Scripture that they went out from us because they were not really part of us. The Apostle promised verses to us that there must be heresies among us that they which are approved may be made manifest. The ones we exclude are disapproved as not belonging to God in apostolic doctrine. And those who remain in sincerity are those that do and are approved of God. Ye therefore, beloved, he's bringing this thing to a close and he's got a conclusion, seeing ye know these things before. The wonderful thing about the Bible is that much of it is spent telling us of things that are going to come to pass in the future. And we know about them before they happen. So it says, seeing ye know these things before. We know some things that are going to happen to this world and that are going to happen to spiritual wickedness in high places of the devil and his angels that the world doesn't have a clue about. And when you run down through the list of things, like the Lord Jesus Christ splitting open our atmosphere with His presence and the mighty angels of God and the trump of God sounding and the shout of the Lord Jesus Christ and the voice of the archangel. Now that's just one event. That's the trigger event. What happens when He appears? Before we're even gathered up into the air, yes, we will all levitate off this earth into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will raise dead believers out of their graves. He'll recompose their bodies, glorify their bodies, reunite them with the spirits that He's going to bring down from heaven, and they'll all stand with the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll be gathered up together with Him. The wicked at the same time will be resurrected from their dead graves where their bodies are, put together with their spirits, where they're consigned in chains in hell right now, put back together, there'll be the great judgment day of Almighty God, where the wicked will be cast forever into the lake of fire, the righteous will be taken into heaven, the devil will be judged in his angels, and cast into the lake of fire. The books will be opened, and the book of life will be opened, and we, we will have our names read out of the book of life. This earth and heavens will be burned up and melt, and there'll be a new heaven and new earth. The words sound so fantastic, they're hard to believe. The new heavens and the new earth will have righteousness in them. All the things that you read on the internet or read in the newspapers will not occur anymore. All those people will be outside the city of God uh, called the New Jerusalem, and they'll be consigned to hell fire. All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, along with all adulterers, sorcerers, idolaters, and every other such sin. These are, these are incredible events. They affect the known universe. The world does not know about them, but we already know about them in advance. Right. Seeing ye know these things before. Ye therefore beloved, seeing ye know these things before. I hope you love the Bible and the gospel that is taught from the Bible that tells us these things in advance. Incredible events coming upon the universe. Incredible events coming upon the world. Incredible events coming upon every cemetery. Incredible events coming upon us or our children who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. You have secret knowledge of a total change in the universe. They're fussing and fretting about what they think incorrectly has been a quarter of a degree in temperature change over 50 years, and they worry about the most minute little things that they can't even prove. From generation to generation, it goes from global warming to a coming ice age. They don't know what's going on in the world, but you know what we know about this world? It ain't no quarter of a percent, a quarter of a degree change in temperature. The whole thing is going to be changed. It's all going to be burned up. We're going to get a new heaven and a new earth. 
it's more true than anything they've ever taught you in science. Amen. You say, but what about gravity? Gravity isn't true. Why do you think gravity is true? You're going to meet the Lord in the air. Does that sound like gravity is true? Of course you know I believe in gravity. If I tip this pulpit over, it's going to land on the floor. Unless the Lord stops it because He doesn't believe in gravity as much as you do. Because He is going to take us all up to meet Him in the air to be forever with the Lord. We know things that they don't know about. And the point of 2 Peter is that it should change our lives. Seeing, remember that seeing? Verse 17, verse 14, verse 11. Do you remember? Peter's constantly drawing conclusions. Verse 11, seeing then. Verse 14, seeing that. Verse 17, seeing ye know these things. Yes, we know these things. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the most fabulous body of knowledge imaginable. What else do you want to learn? What do you want to learn about that can even compare to this knowledge? The knowledge of what took place in Genesis chapter 1, the knowledge of what took place on the cross, the knowledge of what's going to take place when the Lord Jesus Christ comes from heaven. That is the gospel. It's called the good news of Jesus Christ, the glad tidings of good things to come. That's what the word gospel means. There's nothing like it. What are you learning? What do you like to read? What do you like to listen to during the week? All of it combined and squared is worthless. It's a distraction. It's worse than worthless. Worthless. It takes you away from real knowledge. Oh Lord, help us to focus on the things that are important. The divine library of the Bible has everything past, present, and future that we need to know. It's an incredible storehouse of knowledge and wisdom. And Ahasuerus, or Artaxerxes, or Darius Hystaspes, who in Ezra 7 said that Ezra had the wisdom of God in his right hand and endorsed his preaching and expressed his personal affection and commitment to support his preaching, knew that there was something special in the Bible. You know, his predecessors, like Cyrus the Persian, learned that they had been named by the God of heaven 150 years before they were born. We believe, though it is not essential to our faith, that Daniel showed Cyrus the Persian the scrolls of Isaiah chapters 44 and 45 where Cyrus was named by the God of heaven because Cyrus says, the Lord God of heaven hath charged me to build him a house. Well, I wonder how he got charged. This is one of the ways he could have been charged. We have such a storehouse of wisdom that told the future. Daniel could see these things before they happened. Daniel knew that the 70 years of captivity were going to end and 490 years were going to begin leading to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know how much you know by simply knowing the whatever amount you do know of the gospel believed by this church? Do you know how much you know? Let's not think about the fact that you don't know much and that you need to know more. That's coming in the next verse because it says grow in knowledge. But right now, let's be thankful for what we know. Seeing ye know. There's things that we do know. There's things that these believers did know and Peter wasn't trying to write and add to them because he says, Paul's already written and told you these things, but I'm writing to confirm you that we both believe the same thing. I can't get over how that this Bible right here answers every dilemma and question that man has ever had. Right here. This is the history of the universe. It is the future of the universe. It is the crucial moment in the universe when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for which the whole universe was created. This Bible tells us how to manage our money. This Bible tells us how to love our spouse. This Bible tells us how to worship under different dispensations. This Bible tells us about unseen creatures that are in this room right now called angels. This Bible's got everything in it. This Bible has political wisdom. This is a political science book. 
if you read the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes, it's history. It's got a love song in it called the Song of Solomon. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's got apocalyptic literature. It's got apologetic literature. It's wonderful. It's got history of David. It's got the heart of David. Can you tell me which book has the history of David? First and second Samuel and first and second Kings. What about where's the heart of David? In the book of Psalms. We've got little pithy sayings called Proverbs. Oh, this book is great. And it's in your hand. You're up, you're up there with Ezra. Now the question is, are you a ready scribe in the law of God? Do you know it? I think you can find the 66 books, right? See, his, his job wasn't that hard because he only had 39. Not even that. Because Malachi and Haggai and Zechariah, Zechariah and Haggai were just being written. Malachi wasn't written and there wasn't a New Testament. Oh, we've got something great. And we know so many things before they come to pass. But the problem is this. When we walk out of this place, and your mind in the flesh, your carnal mind, is already walking out of this place already while I'm preaching, you are going to be bombarded with the inputs of this world for things now and present of this earth. And they are going to distract you you are going to think that your home is important when our home is in heaven. You're going to think, and bear with me, you all should understand that I am with you in this matter. You're going to think that your children are important. When the Bible says that you're to forget your earthly family because you've got a new family. It's Psalm 45, my favorite psalm from the heart of David. We're going to go out of here and we're going to be assaulted by our job, by pleasure, by eating, by traffic, by cars, by houses, by children, by entertainment, and all that stuff is going to bombard us. And what I'm telling you, which is important compared to all of that, which is not in comparison, is going to distract you away and you are not going to amount to the Christian you should be unless right now you gird up the loins of your mind and commit yourself, I am going to live by the Bible. I am going to bet my life in this world and my life in the next world by this Bible. I am not going to cheat it. I am not going to compromise. I want to grow in knowledge. The first thing we need to do is the therefore that starts the verse telling us that since we know that things are coming, we need to live in a certain way to help each other. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware. So we need to be vigilant. The word beware just means to be vigilant and on the lookout, lest ye also. Now does this epistle tell us that this audience of Peter's was well established in the truth? It tells us that in chapter 1. It tells us in, say, verse 12, that they should, that they sure should and they were looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. It says in verse 4 that seeing that they were looking for such things, it says very complimentary things about their faith throughout this epistle, whether it's the first chapter, the second chapter, or the third chapter. But notice there is a beware lest ye also, you established ones, could end up looking just like the ones in verse 16 that because they were unlearned and because they were unstable and because therefore they rested or twisted or corrupted or perverted the Scriptures, they did it to their own destruction, you could be destroyed. You could lose your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. You could leave, lose that undergirding for your faith. You know, we've got something that catches us and it's the rock-solid foundation of faith from God's Word. But if it is pulled away from us, if we're made to doubt it, you're going to fall and have nothing to catch you. There is nothing in this world to catch you. I can promise you that. There is nothing here. There is nothing to help you here. There is no one you can trust. There is no thing you can trust. It is all the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one, and the only thing is the written Word of God. Don't look anywhere else. Even looking somewhere else will take you off of faith as it ought to be in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the certainty of His promises in the Word of God. 
When we look at this verse here in the middle of it, and it says, Beware lest ye also, we could destroy our faith unless we're careful with each other and help each other to believe the things that the Lord has taught us in this church. We've had some others destroy themselves. They believe all sorts of crazy notions. Ridiculous things. We've had preterists among us. You know, we've had people that can't even be put in a category of preterist or futurist because what they believe is their own little corner on the ideas of the Bible that aren't recognized by a single other soul on earth. So we're all capable of it. Peter knew they were capable of it. So he said, beware, lest ye also, like the ones in verse 16, destroy yourselves by being led away with the error of the wicked. There is so much error about future things these days. There's a seven-year tribulation. There's a thousand-year millennium. There's a glowing 666 in somebody's forehead out of the United Nations. There's Jesus coming once. There's Jesus coming twice. Jesus come, gone, sold to the highest bidder. Oh, I'm sorry. I got off track there. But we've got everything, all this junk. And that's the futurists. Then we've got the preterists that are out there saying it's all past and there's nothing left. This is as good as it gets. If this is as good as it gets, hand me a deadly weapon. There's a, the Bible says that we're of all men most miserable. If this is as good as it gets, even knowing about the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's going to get a whole lot better than this. And in between, it's going to get a whole lot worse than this, but not for us. It's just going to singe the backs, our backs as, as we're leaving this place and meeting the Lord in the air and it's burned up behind us. Have you ever stood in space before? You say it's six flags over Georgia. I was dropped eight stories. Oh, but I mean in space. We're going to be held in space because the heaven and the earth are going to flee away. Whew. Right. Peter, you only had to walk on water. We're going to be before the Lord it says in the air. Am I make, I'm not making it up. We're going to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Our bodies are going to have new properties. It's sold. It's put in the ground in dishonor. It's going to be raised in glory. It's put in the ground in weakness. It's going to be raised in power. These are things that we know. These are things that we should be living for. These are things that we must think about every day so that we don't get wrapped up in this ridiculous little uh, rat race called the human existence. We have to do certain things. We have to go to work. We have to clean the house. We have to love the children and teach them about the Lord Jesus Christ. But we want to make sure that we're teaching ourselves first and loving Him like we should because our example is more important than anything else we can give them. Right. Lord, help us to beware. Beware. Everyone is against us. They don't want to believe the truth of the gospel. You know, they're getting rid of hell. They're getting rid of the destruction of this earth. God loves everyone. He wouldn't hurt a single soul. There's no hell. It's universal salvation. That's a bunch of baloney. Straight from the pit of hell. From the devil himself. Lord, help us to beware that we're not led away with the error of the wicked and fall from our own steadfastness. We're steadfastly committed to the truth. Right now, let's stay that way. Right. But let's grow in grace, verse 18. But grow in grace. That little disjunctive but that starts the 18th verse is telling us that while verse 17 was a warning about holding fast the things that we have been taught, there's a whole other level of Christianity. The previous verse, verse 17, is sort of a negative verse in that all it tells us is to hold fast against heresy. It's just telling, hold on, hold on, beware, don't let anyone lead you away because you need to keep your steadfastness. We don't want to be pulled down. We don't want to be pulled away from truth. That's about as high as verse 17 goes, which isn't very high. We go higher with verse 18. We must hold truth fast and not move away from the hope of the gospel but a church cannot turn into a dry, dusty museum of properly labeled doctrines. Right, right. And that would be verse 17 if that's all we had. We don't want to be a museum where we've properly labeled everything, you know, like five phases. You know, we're good at this labeling stuff, like seven proofs. We want to be careful. 
We want to jump into verse 18 and grow in grace. There is far more to the Christian life than resisting error. There's growth in grace. Grace is the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. It includes being saved by grace. It includes all the graces of grace. It includes everything in Christ's religion that we're to be growing in. We do not want to preach about grace every Sunday. We want to grow in it. Preaching about it isn't growing in it. We don't want to label all our doctrines and tell you all the labels each Sunday and show you, see, the five phases are still true today just like they were last Sunday. We want to move on and grow in grace. We want to do much more than hold grace fast. We want to exploit God's grace so that it was not bestowed upon us in vain. Lord, help us. God saved us by grace to grow. We want to grow in the ability and liberty of that grace. Now Joel read us some fabulous verses. And I know one brother, above all the rest of the brothers in here, appreciated what we started this epistle with. And he read to us 2 Peter 1, and I'd like you to turn there, because it describes growing in grace, the first chapter of this epistle. We just had it read to us, Let me briefly remind you of what it says. I'm going to start with verse 2. I'll start with verse 1, just so that I can get the context for all of you. Follow along with me. I'm going to read just down to verse 4. This is a fantastic introduction to this epistle. And it is matched by the concluding verse that we are now looking at, that this is growing in grace. He starts with it, he ends with it, because he didn't really have any new information to give these people. Paul had well taught them. That's why he says in chapter 1, between verses 12 and 15, he says, I know that you're already established in the present truth. He says in verse verses 15 and 16 of chapter 3, even as our beloved brother Paul also has written unto you, He's exhorting them to grow on the knowledge that they've been given. These four verses are weighty. Right here. Weighty. You want to know out of the verses of this epistle what verses are important? The first four verses of the epistle are important. Weighty. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You can have grace and peace multiplying in your life through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. According, this is how it works, as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. God's divine power. Listen, this passage is so powerful, it's got divine in verse 3, it's got divine in verse 4, because God is at work in the practical phase of our salvation, enabling us to grow in grace and to be great Christians in His sight. According, grace and peace being multiplied, your life being more peaceful than you can even imagine it, Peace that passes all understanding. Grace just flowing out of you of love toward the Lord Jesus Christ and victory over temptations in your life. This is all possible through knowing Jesus Christ and growing in that knowledge. His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. God has worked His salvation into us both to will and to do of His good pleasure and it is our job to work it out. And we can, we should, we must, we will. God will bless the effort. Through the knowledge of Him. Notice the emphasis that Peter has on knowing God. Through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. You have knowledge right there at the last part of verse 3. You have knowledge in the last part of verse 2. And you have faith up there in verse 1. Whereby... God's power has given us everything to live a godly life in verse 3. And we access that power by learning about the Lord Jesus Christ who's called us to glory and virtue. And the more we know of Him and the more we embrace Him, the Holy Spirit is unfettered in our lives to explode in Christian growth. And I'm not talking about healing. 
I'm talking about bearing the fruit of the Spirit, whereby are given unto us exceeding, exceeding. They surpass anything else you have ever heard or known, and even what you can think or imagine. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. And Peter does cover some of those promises, including the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what do those promises do for us? They motivate us that by these, that by these promises, these exceeding great and precious promises, ye might be partakers of the divine nature. We are not going to become little gods because there are incommunicable attributes of God that we can never have. But there are communicable attributes of God that we can have, should have, must have, and can have. By the power of God. Can means, do you have the ability to do it? Yes, the ability flows from God. That by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. By learning of the Lord Jesus Christ, embracing His promises, by the power that God's put in us by His Spirit, we can escape the corruptions that are in this world through lust. We do not have to be held in their bondage. We can be free from the power of sin now by the power of God in us. And it's by learning more of Christ and encouraging each other more in the Lord Jesus Christ to delight in His first coming, to delight in His second coming, to delight in what He's doing right now at the right hand of God. It's all right there to grow in grace. Peter loved the thoughts of growing in grace. Tell me more about growing and exactly what I should be examining and doing. You know, when a thing grows, it gets stronger. Think about anything you want. Think about an oak tree. Think about a baby bird. When a thing grows, it gets stronger. It gets more beautiful. It gets more productive. It gets more reproductive. And more like the species defined and described standard. And what is our species defined and described standard? The Lord Jesus Christ. That we might be more and more like Him. It becomes less fragile. Less vulnerable. Less needy. Less worthless. Church members in this room right now, are on the scale of worthless, helpless, needy, fragile, vulnerable to to Christians that are strong, beautiful, productive, reproducing, and are like the standard. And it's our job, it's our goal, it's our desire to push, press, move, pull, show by example and encouragement, get everyone to press more toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear what Stephen read? What the Apostle Paul said? Forgetting those things which are behind. His mile race for the Lord Jesus Christ, three laps were done. What happens when you end the third lap in a mile race? What goes off? The bell goes off. It's called the bell lap. Do you know what your bell lap is? This service right now. It's your bell lap. God, nor anyone else, in a race in this life or in a race for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, cares about how you ran the first three laps. Many men have led when the bell sounded off and they crossed the end of the third lap to begin that final lap. They led, but they had not paced themselves wisely. They were not focused and other runners ran them down in the fourth lap. We don't want to be run down by anyone. The three laps are behind us, so Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward for that one final lap, we dig down deeper, we strain harder, we run faster, running for that finish line of pleasing Almighty God through Jesus Christ our Lord who ran our race before us and He ran it much better and He ran it a much harder race than any of us have to run because He has already given us divine power to finish our race with everything that pertains to life and godliness. Have you ever run a race like a God-man? Well, the divine nature is available for you in holiness. The divine nature is available for you in love. The divine nature is available for you in patience. Those communicable attributes that Jesus Christ had that we can have part of or much of. Lord, help us. 
He wants and deserves the return and investment of His grace in us for His glory. Think about the parable of the talents. The man that had five, the man that had two, and the man that had one. We only care about the man with five and two. Think about forward movement, upward progress, fruit bearing in your life. But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is Roman Catholic heresy, as I wrote you yesterday, for people to assemble for pulpit benefits without social and spiritual interaction among themselves. The Lord taught us this a long time ago, and He prompted us to learn this truth by delivering us from the heresy of non-resident members. That a person could be a non-resident member of a church and never attend the church and be considered an equal member of the church, though they live 3,000 miles away or 13,000 miles away, it didn't matter. And we were saved from that terrible heresy that totally corrupts everything in the New Testament taught about a church and all the one another duties that we have toward each other to appreciate the fact that the church does not assemble just to hear the man of God from the pulpit. And I sent that to you last night. And it was read to you again by Brother Jason just a few minutes ago when he wanted you to remember again from Hebrews chapter 10 that when it says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, it doesn't say next because the pastor might be discouraged. It doesn't say next because how will you get the MP3 recording? Because we have the MP3 recordings. You don't really need to be here to hear the pastor preach. It tells us why we should assemble. Remember, it's been a profound part of our church for a long time. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, but exhorting one another. The reason that we get together. Now, do you understand that you have ways to communicate that no one else ever had before in the history of the world? You can text and tweet and email and Twitter and whatever else they do these days. I suppose there's five or ten words and verbs that I don't know yet, but I'll learn them someday. Social media, Facebook, MySpace, you can just link, you can link in to anybody in the church that you want to and link them right up to God's Word. Um, we have so many ways to do it, but in those other days, they didn't, they didn't get to interact like that. So Paul was pointing out that the reason the church comes together is not just to hear a sermon. Right. It's to help one another. It's to exhort one another, consider one another, and to provoke one another to love and to good works. We want to be building each other up, encouraging each other, reminding each other, pressing each other. That's the purpose of the church. That's how we grow in grace. The local church helps us grow in grace. We're to be exhorting one another daily while it is called today in Hebrews chapter 3. Look at Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I'll not be that much longer. Listen, this is important. Seeing ye know these things. You should grow in grace. You need to be reminded of it. Lord, by the power of the Holy Ghost, convict, convert, commit, convince every one of the hearers that are here before me right now and those that will hear this later to humble themselves and to realize that they have not been growing in grace. They've been sliding in grace. They've been backsliding in grace. And help them to grow. Help us to help each other to grow. Heavenly Father, we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. As Paul concludes a long sentence, and I'm only going to read the 16th verse, it is not ministerial. Ministers started off this passage in verse 11. But verse 16 is not ministerial, it's what you do. From whom? And that is the Lord Jesus Christ providing the energizing spirit and the divine power to do these things. We can do them. Verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This is a church just growing right on up to the full stature of the measure of Jesus Christ, building itself up in love, which is what the word edify means. And this increase is growth, and this is caused by every joint and every part contributing what they should be contributing because it is a body function to grow in grace. 
See, in a Catholic church, you park your car, you walk in, dab yourself with a little holy water that is sitting there in a little bird bath for you, and then you go take your seat. And then you pull in a piece of paper that's there at your pew, and it tells you when to stand up and when to sit down, and what book the uh, priest is going to read from, and where he got his liturgy from, and what's going to come next. And you sit there, and you watch the charade taking place up there as he holds up his cracker, turns it into God. Everybody here gets Jesus stuffed in their mouths. They put the leftovers in a little house, lock them up, genuflect before it, and go home. And Baptist churches end up being like that when people wander in, sit down, get up, go home. We have a relationship with each other because we all want to grow in grace. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming, and are we going to be ready for Him? And it is our mutual responsibility to help each other be ready for Him. I don't let you go from Sunday to Sunday. We don't have just one service. There was a serious shortage of instruction in my past. I want to remind you as often as I can without irritating you. Back to the final verse. But grow in grace. Is your desire, your pleasure, your measure, your zeal, your spiritual fruit increasing? What more could He have done in the past for you that He didn't do? What more could God and Jesus Christ have done in the past for you that He didn't do? What more could He have promised for you in the future that He hasn't promised to do? Well, then you should be growing in grace. Are you more spiritually minded today than you were a year ago? Are you more spiritually minded today than you were five years ago? How zealous are you for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't care how hard you work on the job. Neither does God. I don't care how hard you work at home. Neither does God. The Lord wants men and women working at home or working on the job to have hearts that are sold out to Him and growing in grace. The love of God's grace. The graces of God's grace. The zeal to serve Him and His people. Are you growing in these things? We have to face it because we're looking at this verse. And we're not looking at me. We're looking at the verse. By the Holy Spirit, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of God has taught us a great deal. It was read to us this morning by Shane in Titus chapter 2. The grace of God that hath appeared to all men, teaching us that. Denying ungodliness. Denying ourselves. We live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's growing in grace. God saved us by His grace, and it is His grace that we want to learn and show more. In Hebrews 13.9, Paul warned the Hebrews that they had engaged themselves in studying the meats of the Old Testament instead of grace. Grace is what profits our hearts. Grace is what we want to grow in. God's grace, we're able to reckon that if one died for all, then they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto Him that loved them and gave Himself for them. We need to advance. You know, back there in this first chapter, it says, add to your faith. Are you adding anything to your faith? Do you even have faith? Because without the seven things that are added to faith, we don't believe you have faith. It doesn't matter what you say about believing in God. Everyone believes in God. The devils believe in God and tremble. But adding to our faith, we're to add virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. What a list. Do you know how long we could preach on that list? In the middle of that list is what is called perfection for a Christian. Patience. But then on another hand, now abide faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. I'm going to trust Peter's list here that it ends up with the capstone right, brotherly kindness and charity going out of our way to love and to serve and to help others. Not in things natural only, but primarily in things spiritual. 
In the middle is the word patience. What is patience? Cheerfully enduring negative events. We're supposed to be adding these things, and we add them by learning about the Lord Jesus Christ who endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Now it tells us how He was able to do that. Do you know? For the, for the joy that was set before Him, because there were exceeding great and precious promises given to the Lord Jesus Christ, and He knew how to lay a hold of them. Do you? But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So much more could be said. Philippians 1, 9 through 11 is one sentence. I'm not going to turn there and I'm not going to read it. It's a fabulous sentence about growth. Paul's prayer for the Philippians. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 again. Do you think you might be able to remember that? It'll be in the outline. I'll highlight it for you if it'll help. It's Paul's prayer for the Colossians. You know, some of you haven't changed at all. Old habits are still old habits. You're just you. Without growth in grace? Well, you know, I hope nobody asks me where you go when you die. You say, but I professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The devils professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ every single time they met Him. They fell at their feet, at the feet of those that were possessed by devils and gave glory to God that, he, that Jesus Christ was the Holy One of God and that He had the power and authority to cast them into hell and to torment them before their time. We must be growing in grace. We must be growing in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must be adding things to our faith. Let's not go through the motions like a Roman Catholic and just come in here for the charade and instead of me holding up a cracker and turning it into God, it's me holding up the Bible and trying to preach it. And we go on out and go about your foolish little life that when you die, no one will remember or care. I know I'm harsh. You know how harsh it's going to be when we meet the Lord Jesus Christ unless we meet Him confidently, having grown in, grown in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter stressed the knowledge so much in chapters 1, 2, and 3, even though those people were established in the present truth. This is learning all there is about God and Jesus Christ in the Word and by His Holy Spirit. Of course, none of it can happen without the Holy Ghost. So if the Holy Spirit is quenched in your life, you'll have no real gain in knowledge about Him. Of course, this knowledge is more experiential than it is intellectual. It's not just an, an assent to mental facts about Jesus Christ. It is what Stephen read to us in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9 when he read these words from the Apostle Paul and what the Apostle Paul wanted to obtain in his life that he didn't yet have. Philippians 3, 9. Not, I don't want verse 9. I want 10. Philippians 3, 10. That I may know Him. If the Apostle Paul wanted to know Jesus Christ, what should we be saying? That I may know Him. And listen, this is not intellectual knowledge. And the power of His resurrection. I want power in my life like there was power in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of His sufferings. I want to suffer according to the will of God, cheerfully, like Jesus Christ suffered, so that He and I can have fellowship together about suffering, being made conformable unto His death. I want to die to this world, and I want to die in my physical body as easily and as willing as Jesus Christ died. That is experiential knowledge. It is more than intellectual collection of facts. It is, I want to know Him, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. You know, you were saved to know God and to know His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 3, the reason why God saves anyone, that they might, Jesus prayed this, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The reason we're saved is to know God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Right. We have this fabulous book. Jesus said, search the Scriptures. Because they wore the Scriptures on, in boxes on their foreheads called phylacteries or on their arm. 
Jesus said, search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. We want to learn everything we can about Christ from a faith and knowledge standpoint. We want to experience Him. We want to put into application today that we can suffer cheerfully for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ as He suffered cheerfully for us. Have you grown from a hearer and a learner to a teacher and a defender? How many teachers and defenders are in here? Paul justly criticized the Hebrews in Hebrews 5 for needing milk instead of strong meat. This is far more than head facts, brethren. This is loving the Lord Jesus Christ and the life that He led that we would conform our lives to look like His life. That our lives would be a living epistle of the Lord Jesus Christ that would match what the Bible says about Him. Knowing God is diligent search, passion, and obedience of Him, His ways, and His will for our lives. It is obtained on your knees and by your tears more than facts and figures, like proofs and phases. It results in greater love of heaven and greater hatred of the earth. It plums, praises, and proclaims His unsearchable riches in grace to you. It passionately pursues Him to love Him by word and deed much more. It changes lives in that your goal is to sacrifice self to please Him more. It is sacrificial, making all else dung in comparison to show Him your sincerity. It results in obvious greater love of holiness and hatred of sin. It is deep and intimate and personal, not intellectual, superficial, or casual. It humbly flushes all that you are, all that you have, and all that you could do in life in order to find Him. It stops praying for help or things in other parts of life, but for this great goal of knowing Christ. It denigrates and despises all other competitors to knowing Him much better. It craves Him and is not content with precious things of life without Him. It delights and muses in Him for great personal pleasure beyond mere duty. David Nasaf knew all about it, and you can read about it in the Psalms. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen.